Okay, yeah. G'day, everyone. Uh, my name is Mark Robinson. I'm the uh, founder and CEO of uh, Aimpoint RPL. Um, for those that don't know, Aimpoint is a registered training organisation and we provide um, services uh, to the veteran community, uh, especially in the transitioning, um, uh, providing qualifications for transitioning. Um, this podcast is the first in a series of podcasts we're looking to do. Um, we, we really, the intent um, of these is to start to engage with our customers um, more than just around the training and providing qualifications to you. It's about opening a discussion with the veteran community um, around key topics such as the one we'll cover off today, which is um, around transition and really sharing my own journey. Um, so we want to be able to promote discussion uh, around and sh- uh, around transition uh, and sharing our own experiences in the community because working together um, and it can keep us connected um, and make us still feel like you know we belong to that that wider defence uh, group. So um, with that said. Um, uh, we're going to. I'm going to introduce Matthew Wilkinson. Um, so Matthew works with uh, with myself um, as our training uh, development lead here in Aimpoint. He uh, does a lot of the back end work and also does a lot of our media stuff. So I'll hand over to Matthew um, just to uh, say hi, and then I'll get Matthew to kick off the discussion, asking myself um, a range of questions. Matthew, <laughs> thanks for having me, Mark. All right. Um, all right. Well, look. Um, I think what I personally want to start by asking you is is really uh, let's go way back to the start and I guess you're a high school student. Um, what makes you want to get into the military in the first place? What was was it following friends, family, uh, just career options? What, where did it sort of the initiation begin? Yeah, thanks, Matt. So. It's actually a bit of a mixture between a few things and a bit of a drunken night where we ended up at um, Defence Force <laughs> Recruitment the next day um, doing some testing and signing up. Um, but really for myself, I think um, probably first of all, my family um, has always um, had somebody actively involved um, in, in defence all the way back through to um, Adelaide Rifles um, back in the 1800s. So my uh, so I guess that gives away that I'm an Adelaide boy. Um, uh, we uh, so so through my life, I've always military has always been in the background somewhere. Um, in that, even my own dad uh, was in the um, reserves uh, as um, a rifleman in the reserves uh, here in Adelaide with the tenth battalion. Um, and myself, I think um, I finished year twelve uh, in in Adelaide. Um, sort of spent um, probably a good six months after just sort of trialing different things post um, post schooling and and eventually some of my friends and myself we all decided that we would um, you know go to a defence force recruiting centre um, and uh, see if there was any opportunities for us um, in that so so we ended up signing up um, we joined together um, went off and did basic training together um, uh, and. Uh, split off into different sections um, of, of defence. Uh, for myself, that that led me to um, uh, what was a, about a fourteen year career in both the full time and and reserves. So, did that answer the full question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Like, uh, so just 
again, still on the early days here, but what was that uh, particularly, I mean, to go from a drunken night with friends basically to signing up to ending up at Kapuka? That's right, Kapuka. Kapuka. Yep. Um, I mean, what's what's that feel like kind of first couple of days, you know, getting off the bus, so to speak? Um, so certainly, you know, like it was very much unknown what, what was coming for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember getting off the bus and, Probably within the first few seconds arriving at Kapuka, I was already being yelled at for having my bag in the wrong hand, (laughs) (laughs) looking in the wrong direction and so forth. And um, I think uh, it – but in the same hand, it was quite comforting to know that I had a blanket around me that was providing, you know, a future for myself. Um, Obviously, you know, I just needed to get in step and and follow what I was being told to do. But – so there was nervousness about that. It was also, you know, comforting knowing that I'm moving into a, a career that potentially, you know, will, will look after myself and my family and so forth. And so it, it was a bit of mixed emotions <clears throat> in the whole thing. Um, obviously, family were, you know, quite distressed about the fact that we were, I was, you know, joining the military and was off and doing, you know, um, outside of the the home, uh, the comfort zone of home. So. Um, but certainly as a as a young man just having left school it was quite exciting from from that point of view um, and as I mentioned before I was one of the lucky ones that managed to get through with actually a close group of friends um, uh, that I'd gone to high school with we managed to sneak onto the same uh, platoon on the same basic training so I actually I was a little bit lucky that I had some some close uh, friends uh, in the same group as me at the same time um, yeah. And so during those uh, years, was it quite clear which part of the the, the military you were going to sort of go down? Um, was there mentors along the way there to take you through, um, you know, the, the roles that you took on? Um, so I, I joined uh, as a rifleman. Um, and I think this is a bit common, you know, whether it's you go into university or whether you go to a TAFE course or you go out and employ somewhere. Um, in my case, you know, join the Defence Force and, you know, you leave school and you start something and you think that's the right path and almost never it's exactly the right path. So I joined as a rifleman um, in the reserves initially, <clears throat> um, same as the group of friends that I joined. Um, and quickly we splintered off into different directions. And in my case, um, I went from being in the uh, a rifleman through to deciding to to join Rayok and become a clerk. Um, and the reason I did that was that um, I, I looked more broadly at where where I could end up. And you know, I just sort of thought, well, I wanted to move into business eventually, which we we, we happen to be in now. Um, and I wanted to move down that sort of you know be as close as possible in a defense sense um to that so so no we didn't i didn't really understand when i started where exactly i would end up i just knew that if i get going and put my foot in the door and then i would work my way through it um i was lucky enough to have some pretty good as you do in defense force have some really good mentors all the way through um who 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 provide some really good counseling um uh, uh to direct you into the right the right path and I think most people from defense then end up with that sort of same um that same opportunity so what kind of particular skills or, or lessons did you sort of learn in that time um you know that you found 
particularly helpful, I guess, when more so when you were transitioning, what, what were you sort of taking from those years? Um, certainly, look, I think more broadly, not just in the earlier years, but across my whole career um, in in defence, in, in, in uniform, um, certainly skills around leadership and management are, are massive. Um, the, the, the idea of planning and executing and reviewing things um, it is just it's just ingrained into you when you're in the in the ADF. It's not something that we call project management or et cetera. They're just skill sets that you all get taught, um, whether you're in the Navy, Air Force, Army, you're all taught basically how to, you, you know, how to plan, to do some detailed planning, how to lead a team um, through the delivery after you've done that planning, and then how to do an after-action review and review what's, you know, what you've just done, learn from that and move forward. I think the second one that I learned very quickly is um, how to make a decision and 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 go with it. Um, I think when I first started off, I was very um, unsure of myself, sort of second guessed myself. Spent a lot of time not going anywhere because I couldn't decide which way I was going to go. Um, I think through my career, I became very good at being able to go look. Sometimes some movement is better than no movement whatsoever. So. Being able to make a decision was was pretty important. Um, I think the other one is was around that discipline. So whether it's in um, whether it's in a business sense, whether it's in my personal life, you know, even um, in the way I wake up in the morning and I start doing things, the discipline that I've learned in the defence force goes across so many different avenues of my life. Um, you know, it's to the point that. I really plan out meticulously all the tasks and everything that I'm doing and that's something um, that I definitely got as I went through my career in defence. And then finally, I think the other one is there's just so many other micro skills that you learn that you just never get the opportunity to do in some cases outside. Um, You know, things things like, um, you know, cultural awareness things like you know um uh things like managing very unique defense capabilities and so forth they give you unique skill sets that can't be replicated by a normal civilian workplace and so when you leave you end up with these very unique skills that when you know how to tap into those and use them becomes quite valuable to employers trying to work with defense force so you, you spoke then about discipline, and I suppose given that, you know, different work environments can be t- messy and chaotic, I suppose, you know, it depends on sort of where you're deciding to sort of transition to. Did you did you find that really difficult then um, kind of, I guess, letting yourself go out into, um, you know, making that transition from, from military into to you know, normal business world, uh, like was was that hard? Was that difficult to to sort of after such sort of a what's the word I want? To, uh, well, discipline really after having rigid. sort of rigid, rigid, rigid. Yes, just rigid. Yes. Yeah. Look, so I think I think one of the big lessons that I got, and it takes if you talk to most veterans as they've they've transitioned, and you talk to them around when they've started in a new employer or they've started a business or et cetera, 
one of the one of the key topics that will always come up is around that cultural awareness and that fit um, in the civilian world. Um, and for me, it was no no different. Um, you know, I I left and my first job was with a company called Viterra. So, um, you know, they're owned by uh, a, a big multinational mining giant called Glencore. Viterra has shipping ports and um, rail and billions of dollars worth of sto- uh, grain storage and handling across um, Australia and, and internationally in Canada and so forth. And I was put into a, a senior management role um, with them. And and so, you know, I came out with some expectations of how you manage a team and how you, you keep everybody in line and the discipline that goes along with it, especially as a senior NCO and what that means. Um, and, and it took a while to adjust that adjust to that. So, um, you know, while the principles of you know leadership and that stands the same, there's some cultural differences to the way that you employ employ that. Um, you know, it's more consultative outside um, uh, and, and trying to keep everybody aligned, um, as opposed to more direct when you're in uniform. It's it's more providing an order and expecting the people to follow that order. When you leave, it's very different. It's more trying to consult with the team and guide them down the path of the right the right way that you want them to go, yeah. giving some some more loose boundaries of what you need done um, and then mentoring and helping them get there as opposed to um, this is what I want done by this date, by this time, these are your boundaries. It's, it, you need to loosen some of those up. So it took me a while to adjust to some of that um, and even now sometimes I find I, I still do the same, I still have the same issues but I would say that's probably one area where the, the there is a difference in in how you how you do you do that. Certainly, you wouldn't use the word discipline outside outside of uniform. Well, so so basically, what I'm getting from this is you didn't make you weren't making people cry, were you? By any chance? <laughs> well, <laughs> if you said that, I think um, I think probably within my first week or something around there, I was called into the operations director's office, and um, he let me know that there were a few tears going on in the <laughs> office. <laughs> um, and it was nothing personally that I was doing to them specifically saying that was upsetting him. It was just the way in which um, the way in which I was kicking off my day um, in uniform. It was it was very it, it was very much the standard to you know come in, log in, get going uh, for the day. It's not necessarily about you know connecting with everybody at the start of the day. It's about getting in, get going, start doing whatever you need to do to get the day going. Um, and what I found outside was, uh, and this is something that I do to, to today, um, even is, you know, it's, it's different. You need to go spend, you know, a couple of minutes with each of your, your staff or your team or at, at different levels up, up and down, um, just to have that, just to have that connection to say, Hey, this is more about, you know, it's not just about um, the work here. You know, we've got some sort of uh, building, some sort of relationship. That way the team starts to feel more connected to you um, and, and it just creates better cohesion on, on the outside. And it, But when I was in uniform, very different. It was very much like you're here to get a job done, let's just get it done and, and you know, we can socialise later. So it's take, it took me a while to sort of adjust to those, some of those, those transitioning things. Um, 
but yes, I did have some people in tears at, at, at different times. And, and it's something that you just have to be conscious of in your presence and when you're talking to people and, and communicating in the workplace. Being that the first sort of job that you had after sort of the transition, um, what about sort of more from a meaningful point of view? Did you find going into that kind of work meaningful? Did it did you sort of open up a whole new heap of questions for yourself of what you wanted to do or, or did you feel like you, were you confident at that point? Um, I, th- I think it's much like when I left um, school and, and I went into the Defence Force and I had a period before there where I was, you know, floating around trying to work out what to do. And I don't think I'm unique. I think most Defence uh, veterans would be exactly the same and, I, and I and I left the the services, and whilst I had a job that I went to, it still took me um, probably twelve months to really sort of readjust myself and work out what was the path that I wanted to go down. In our case, it was training, so we started Aimpoint uh, RPL um, through that period um, and came up with the concept, and we started working on it. it. Took us it took us years to be able to build it to a point where. Uh, we are today, um, but certainly the seeds of that came into fruition um, during that period there. So as I said before, I left and went and started working for a company called Viterra. Um, but within 12 months, I was back in working for Defence in a training capacity under the Aimpoint brand. So I, I think, you know, that first 12 months is always going to be turmoil, even when you think that you have a job locked in place and you have some things in the, in lined up for yourself it's 12 months of of turning your life upside down and and working out where you want to where you really want to go and even if you don't think that even if you don't think that's the case as you get through it you'll be like oh actually i now see this whole new world and i can go after those because there's not a career manager telling me i can't do that i don't have a particular set path that i have to follow and that's really unique for defense members is Mm -hmm. not not having a particular scripted path that they have to follow um, so it does take a little bit of time and once you start to work those out for yourself, um, it obviously opens up new opportunities. So I, I guess really, you know, the, the education is a, is a crucial part of the transitioning process. Um, so did, what about for yourself? Were you, did you pursue other um, – hang on, start again. So – the education is obviously a, a crucial part of the transitioning process. So did you pursue further educational training after after leaving? Were you doing other things on the side um, to, to help you basically go down uh, the path of, of going into Aimpoint? Yeah, so, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that just ties on what I was just saying before. I mean, I, I left and, you know, just off the back of my experience and what qualifications Defence had given me, which, to be honest, is very minimal, uh, what they had <laughs> given me. Not saying what I was entitled to, but what, you know, right. or, or what I could get, but what Defence had provided me was very small. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a, that's not, um, that's not an unusual thing. Defence mm-hmm. really does not like to issue, um, it's, uh, employees, uh, you know, qualifications that can enable them to, you know, get really well paid jobs. It's just not in defense's DNA to do that. Um, uh, but so I started working with a company off the back of what I already had there. But as I went through, I'm going, you know what? I, 
I can manage workplace health and safety. I should be able to get the diploma because I'm looking at what other people are doing. And so we started to explore, you know, well, okay, I, I don't have to rely on just what defence has given me. I can look and go, well, I can do that. I've done that in uniform. Why can't I have the diploma project management? And so, so for me, I started to explore and unpack these opportunities with other companies and as we went down that path, we discovered like there is challenges in trying to explain how we do stuff in um, uniform versus how it's done on the outside. I mean, if, if I was to go talk to a training provider um, around how I would develop plans and, you know, uh, you know, from their side, they're looking for something that says, you know, a project plan or something like that. And I come along and say, yeah, well, I used to do SMAC all the time they would have no idea what I'm talking about. It just, you know, they just can't comprehend and translate that to them. And then even sometimes, even if you provided it to them, they don't understand the context in which you're delivering it because, um, you know, because a set of orders, usually, you know, you're trying to issue it in a field and so forth. And so the meaning behind some of the terminologies and the things that you're doing, they just don't comprehend it. So it took me a while to be able to... um to provide that demonstration to some of these companies and um, leading back to what we were saying before, in going through that process, I went, it shouldn't be this hard. Where is another, where is a defence company that has been through this and done it? Where are other trainers that have been through and done this before themselves? Um, Surely I can find these companies out there and they're very minimal, the number of companies that can do that sort of work and translate it for you. So hence we ended up going, well, we can do this ourselves. We can offer this service to other defence members so they don't have that same issue of trying to get these qualifications. And as we went through and did that, you know, we created Aimpoint. And the benefit of having those qualifications as an example um, is, you know, you're out there working um, and some really good roles and stuff that pop up that, when you're in uniform, you're following a a set script for what your particular trade is, and you're just going up and down the up and sorry, not down, but up the the, <laughs> the ladder yeah. of everything you need, and you're following the very defined script. When you're outside, you can go left and right, and you know different avenues. So, you know, a role might rock up where it's like, well, we need a um, workplace health and safety um, manager on, on a project or at a site. Um, and having that qualification going, well, I've actually do meet the requirements for that. And you can demonstrate it with a with with the piece of paper that says, hey, I've got a diploma in doing that. Um, it just makes sense to the to the hiring manager for that role. They're like, oh, okay, well, that's that's the the main criteria that we need to do tick. It doesn't matter the fact that you actually had the skill set in the background. Um, all you have now is a piece of paper through RPL that demonstrates that you've done it. it but it's the communication tool with the employer uh, or the hiring manager um, that makes a difference. So I think I answered the question. The, the, the qualifications open up those opportunities to you, which normally when you're in uniform you don't have because you're following a specific path. Mm-hmm. But when you leave, there's so many different paths you could follow. There's a million different ways in which you, your career could go. So having more qualifications under your belt or on your CV gives you more opportunities to go after those than are just, you know, I'm stepping up into, you know, my manager's role or the director's role or et cetera in your particular chain Mm. um, um, path. 
I, I imagine it can sort of have a bit of a, a fogginess to it too, where you're a little bit unsure perhaps on on where to go with it all. So, I mean, what about for you yourself at that time? What about support networks? Who who did you sort of have to rely on back then? And how do you sort of see that it's changed now? Like, is there more support networks available than there was sort of for, for yourself years ago? Um I was very, very fortunate in the fact that whilst there wasn't much from a defence point of view, um, I mean, I literally got given my certificate and not even, a, a, you know, a final handshake on the way out. In fact, the adjutant at the time tried to give me a formal warning, which if you don't understand is pretty much a disciplinary tool to, you know, smack you on the wrist for something that you've done. Um, it, on my final day, um, so defence does not like this people leaving, leaving. Um, uh, but I was very, very fortunate that the company, which I mentioned before, Viterra, it was an agricultural company. It was very much a hands-on people sort of person type company. Um, and so I was placed very early on with them with some mentors um, internally and, and you know, and they they supported me all the way through from a understanding that okay, you're a little bit more uptight than you need to be. We need to help loosen some of that up. You, you know, get you get you used to being able to stand up in uh, in front of a crowd and you know chat to people and um, stop walking in step with the you know the the CEO or the you know the operations director or etc. Um, stop freaking out about not wearing a hat when you're outside and just just chill a little bit. Um, even things down to um, when I left, I, I felt the urge that I needed to be in a suit and tie and everything nice and you know pressed and etc. Um, and, and through that process of having some mentors and stuff, they it, it really. I wound back a lot of that um, to 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 this day. I now wear jeans and a polo shirt to to almost anything except for where you know where talking at a big crowd. Uh, you know, and those that know me will probably laugh at that because it, it, I just never wear a tight suit and tie anywhere these days. <laughs> But it's part of the persona that I'm now putting across to everybody of, you know, I'm not regimental anymore. I'm not not a senior NCO. I'm a I'm a relaxed, um, laid back Aussie guy um, that you can trust and we can have a conversation with. Um, uh, so yeah, so I think that mentorship was something that was really important to me, and it's something that we've now, as I mentioned before, in in those learnings, we've now brought that mentorship into into the way Aimpoint delivers. So. Some of our programs, like our traineeship model for things like project management, we don't want to look at things like online learning um, or in-classroom teaching. I just don't think it's the right way. I want to create models in which we're using that same approach of mentorship um, over the first 12 months of people that are coming out and being employed using similar methods that they're used to in training in defence, so explain, demonstrate and practice, and having that mentor there that can help them go, mate, you know, just relax a little bit or, um, you know, maybe make some of those explanations to them of some key differences in terminology and things, having a little bit more than just what's written on an online course and et cetera, um, I think is key to success of a transition uh, for people. Um, and, and it's something that we want to try and put in all of our offering with defence. I mean, even to today, 
I still take phone calls from students um, past or on their on their way through about things that have nothing really to do with the training products that we're we're offering them. Um, and for me, I think that's part of the offering is that we can offer that mentorship to them, regardless of whether it, it, it's relating to something that they're buying from us or a service that we're delivering them. The service is actually um, providing an avenue for them to talk through different options. Um, and in some cases even, and, and some students will will confirm this, you know, in some cases it, it's it's about competitors of, of ours and, and I'm, I'm, I'm pushing them towards those competitors because they offer a really good service that I don't, I don't actually deliver either. So it's about the individual, um, uh, uh, it's the individual outcome um, for us of which I think mentorship is a very big part of all of that. Yeah, it, it sounds like it really it's, it's treating people like people and and, and, yeah. and 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 making sure that they're you know heading in the right direction, which is um, yeah. I think if you if you worry about the individual outcome for the person that you're talking with, mm-hmm. um, everything else will fall into place. Mm-hmm. They will recommend you to five other people that will end up you know purchasing your your service um, or. Um, you know, they'll provide a really good reference um, to other people. Um, uh, uh, as an example, the other day I, I was talking with, um, I was talking with someone, a, a veteran, um, had gone off and worked in the police force, um, was unhappy with where they were, and had a job opportunity that popped up. Now, they fit my criteria um, for RPL, for, for and I knew that I could support them. Obviously, caveat that that I still went through all the proper processes and et cetera, and I never offer anything to anybody unless until I know mm-hmm. um, that I can, you know, provide you a service. But I knew I could support this person. They had a, an issue in that they were applying for a job that they really badly wanted um, uh, and wanted some assistance in getting getting that job. So. So I spent some extra time talking them through job application, talking them through how best to 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 um, uh, it, you know how best to fill out their CV, how to do all those things. At the same time, they ended up coming back and saying, "Well, actually, you know, I think actually having the diploma of project management on our on our um, CV might actually really help me get it across the line." So. So I, you know, I jumped into it and said, "Yeah, absolutely." And they needed it urgently. So we, I spent a lot of time. I dropped other things I was doing. I helped this person get across the line, um, uh, and in return, I just got some feedback the other day that one of the things in their interview, which they ended up getting the job, was the success. One of the successful reasons they got that job was that their CV was fantastic, their interviewing was fantastic, and that they had the diploma of project management, which tipped them over the edge. <laughs> so, so for me. Like that was a fantastic outcome, and they ended up bringing me a bottle of gin to to thank oh, me for it. So you go. know, um, I, I went away feeling proud that I was actually provided a service to somebody, as opposed to just taking somebody's taking somebody's money. Um, so yeah, so I think it's about the person and the broader service that you and and even today, what we're doing today, we're trying to. Sparks some conversations with people. I'm sharing my uh, my experiences. Um, I want people to be able to listen to this while they're driving along, and if anything we say connects with them, they can contact us and we can help them out. 
Um, but this isn't necessarily related to selling our course, mm. um, but it's about providing a broader um, service to the community. Um, and as a result, I think that we'll be respected for it. It helps us with our own transition. Uh, it helps build our brand as well with people. Um, and we're able to offer more and more um, support to other people uh, uh, through this same mechanism. Mm-hmm. No, I think I think that's uh, you know I, the it, it you take a lot more I think from seeing other people's success stories. You know, it, it, there's a much more rewarding feeling at the end of the day when you when you have those stories that you can hold on to. So I I can completely agree with with what, with what you're saying there. What about um, I, I suppose. For yourself, even um, how do you sort of see like mental health during veteran transitioning? It, it, um, I mean, you're sort of touching on it a little bit here. So, uh, how do you sort of feel that you keep a healthy mindset during the transitioning? Yeah, look, I mean, at anybody's um, in anyone's life, when there is major change, um, employment, you know, changes, um, injury, any of these sort of things cause always cause uh, stress on individuals. Um, from my side of, of the puzzle, we don't, we don't see ourselves as like a counselling service. We don't see ourselves as um, providing mental health-specific support services. I, I think there's lots of organisations out there that do that. What I like to do is look back and go, um, uh, no, I've forgotten the actual reference, but it, it's a it's a veteran Department of Veteran Affairs report. Um, a few years ago, they did and looked at a range of veterans and surveyed them, and you know, tried to work out what is some of those stresses, what causes some of those stresses, and by far, and I a hundred percent agree with this. By far, the biggest stress on people is always around um, em- employment. When you're not in a in a role that I'm not saying that you're not employed, but if you're not in a role that you feel um, satisfied or get job satisfaction out of it, you don't feel like the role that you're doing is worthwhile. And um, you can you can feel um, stressed or depressed or, you know, it really challenged um, when you're in those situations. So, therefore, finding meaningful employment for veterans is critical to a transition to successful transition where they're no longer in some of those situations where they're where they're feeling some of that anxiety and stress and and I caveat that I'm not pretending to be a counsellor here, um, but but for us I feel that the service that we can offer can help reduce some of that. We can help them get into a role where they feel more. Um, yeah, they feel more like they're using their their full capacity and their skill set. Um, they're getting paid what they're worth. Um, it reduces some of that turmoil of you know paying the paying the bills, looking after their family, and so forth. And if you have those things taken care of um, in their hierarchy of needs, then um, you know some of the other things are a little bit more easier to focus on and manage. Um, so. I, th- I think that some of the services that we offer help deal with some of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is helps get rid of some of the mental health um, issues there. Certainly there are other things that needs to be addressed and, and um, in some things we can help 
sort out as well. And uh, in my mind, the way I see everything works in the fence is you join, and, and we've touched on some of it as we've gone through here, you join really green. You know, the world's your oyster. You can go down any path. Sometimes it's hard to pick which way you're going to go because there's so many different options. Um, and you join the Defence Force and, and they put you through a basic training to basically take orders, to to be disciplined, to follow a rigid structure, um, to be ready to go at a moment's notice. Um, they they train you to almost work a different language really in in, in, in uniform things like I mentioned before, SMEAC and et cetera. You know, it's a different culture and et cetera. And so you're broken down, put into this sort of mold of a of a soldier or um uh or sailor or um uh airman or airwoman, um and you're um you're molded into that um uh, that person and then when you leave, and, and it's not defense's fault specifically, but when you leave, there isn't the reverse of that. It's there's nothing reversing to put you back into that mold where you are ready for the millions of options that are going to come back to you. Um, you're not ready to necessarily to have those uh, uh, broader cultural uh, understandings in, in a work environment. Um, you know, I mean, as an example, one of the things I had with um, uh, the company that I went with immediately after was um, – you know, they they expect you to talk over your, your your supervisors. They expect you to interject when they're not saying something that is a hundred percent right in front of a group of people. They expect you to talk on behalf of them and so forth. Whereas I remember specifically being on basic training and trying to interject, and and it didn't go so well for me. <laughs> and I never did it again. So so you know, these are just some some examples. But so we you. You break down a person, you mold them into a into um, the perfect uh, you know soldier, um, but we don't do the reverse. Mm. So, in my mind, I think what we need, and I think Aimpoint, you know, we can probably assist with some of this as well, is create some sort of uh, um, you know course to civilianise people as they leave. So you do a basic training to enter. You should do a basic training before you leave. Some people may strongly disagree, but in my mind, I think, you know, that's a, that's a natural process. You know, like you, if you go into an environment and you want to dig a mine, you know, you, you go, you dig everything up and et cetera. But before you leave, you have to put it back the way it was. Mm. Um, and I think that's the same with everybody. Um, now, there are other issues as well. So, you know, people have um, post-traumatic stress and things like that. It's certainly not our ballpark. Um, uh, but, you know, I think if you can, if you can deal with some of the other, the other bits and pieces around the edges, then we can focus on supporting um, some of those other issues. I'd imagine, too, a, a key factor in, in a lot of this is, is family and relationships, too. I mean, what was that like for you kind of, I suppose, going home and, and telling, telling your wife or telling your parents that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm transitioning, I'm out of here now? Um, like, were you being, were they saying, oh, what are you doing? You know, you're going to regret this. Was, was that, how was that for you with, with uh, like, I suppose that, that's a, 
extra bit of social burden to have at times too when you're making a big jump or a big leap as it might, might have felt at the time. Yeah, look, I, the only thing I will say is I have a very understanding wife <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm prone to just making decisions and, and just going with it mm-hmm. um, and some of that is that legacy back from, you know, being in, in uniform and making a decision right or wrong and not being consultative. <laughs> Yeah, um, and so so Jen said, so my wife uh, Jenna, she she has been very understanding in going with the flow with that, um, and then trusting in the process that I will land on my feet somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, we may make I may make some bad decisions, um, but then eventually we'll land on our feet. And so I've been very lucky in the fact that she has always um, supported me with that, but. If I was to answer your question exactly the way you asked it is, <laughs> um, so it's funny that when I first enlisted into the Defence Force, everybody's upset and says, you shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Worst decision ever, don't do that. Um, when I went to leave, same, people the same. Worst decision ever, don't <laughs> do that. <laughs> so for me, people don't like change. Yeah. And, and so... I, you know, that causes a lot of stress on people and particularly families. Mm. Uh, I mean, for me, um, my wife and, and my children had an identity that they weren't a South Australian. They weren't, you know, a Victorian or Queenslander or et cetera. Um, they were, they were an army family. Um, and that had a national identity. And, and, and it's funny, like you can say that. And we're not that way now, but that's the way they saw themselves is just, you know, we are, an army family. So when I said that we're not going to be that anymore and we're going to move back home, it's a loss of an identity. And for them, they miss that. And, and I mean, that is another, another area where there needs a lot of support because for some of these people like the wives and kids and so forth, you know, they've lived in three or four different States. They've never really had a, a set location, but the one thing that they have had consistently in their lives has been, you know, that has been the idea. The defense force has always been there for them, and so there is that loss that they lose. Um, so, so it's challenging. On the flip side to that, there is that reward that it's like, well, okay, I'm now no no longer going to be away for six months or three months, or you, you know, there's that predictability in what their what their week is going to be like. You know, you're going to do a normal nine to five job type type approach. Um, and you're not going to disappear on weekends or be stuck at the you know on guard duty till till you know the next day or you know whatever. Um, and so that that there is a lot of opportunity in that that families um, get back out of that. But did, did that answer that question? Oh yeah, no, I think you've covered. I think you covered that very well. Um, <laughs> what about just? I suppose also I uh, I would imagine even for yourself, sort of the. Um, the ability to take on sort of new hobbies and, and activities that you probably didn't get the chance to enjoy. You must enjoy sort of that you've been able to transition and, and it, it, like you said, it's opened new doors up in, in different ways that you might not have imagined. So was was there something that perhaps, you know, for yourself, say 15 years ago, you never thought you'd actually end up enjoying and now you look at it and go, I really enjoy this. It, it could be as simple as playing golf. Yeah, look, I think when I enlisted, and I don't think it's the case now because there's a very much a big push on lifestyle and so forth into into the ADF now. So um, there is a big push on 
it being a lifestyle choice as opposed to, um, you know, just a job. Um, but when I joined, I did have to give up a lot of my hobbies and things that I did have because you either had to play for, you know, your unit in football if they even had a football team. They were very much against you doing anything outside that could in- end up injuring you that because they cover you for all your medical and so forth. So, so for me... Um, you know, I used to enjoy rowing and I was in South Australia and they didn't have a rowing team, but they also didn't want me injuring myself in rowing. So I was steered away from doing that sort of thing. Um, and I don't think that's the case these days. Um, but I would say, I, I, I would say for me, the business has really become a bit of my hobby sort of thing. And, and so for me, having the opportunity to, talk with people at all sorts of different levels um you know in the last 12 months you know i've had uh i've gone out to dinner with you know retired major generals all the way down to i talk with you know a a private in the army i talk with commodores rear admirals you know across the board now my hobby is really communicating with people and chatting um, with people at different levels. And, and so when I was in uniform, it's, it's harder to do that. You stick within your structure. You don't go outside of your, your um, chain of command. Um, so for me, it did restrict me like that in being able to do it, which since it's left, I'm open to communicating with whoever I want to communicate, share whatever personal view that I want to share Um uh, and go after anything I want to. I mean, golf is something that I have just recently taken back up again. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, like I think that's something that uh, I don't think is specific these days. I think they're really good at being able to let you enjoy a range of different hobby, hobbies. Right, right. Well, I, I would say too that uh, uh, from my personal uh experience of hanging around with you i would say too that you're a big advocate for south australia um you seem to uh champion uh a lot of local uh, community events and stuff which i've I've seen you do so uh, i i can see that you really actually get a kick out of being a people person in that sense and and helping communities really yeah and and look that's exactly what i'm talking about is uh, it's really hard when i was for me i'm only talking for me personally And I'm, I think this is a very unique case. So, like, I, I think most people would have jumped to the golf or something like that. <laughs> but for me, I very much enjoy uh, sticking my head up above the parapet and sort of expressing my point of view and and um, challenging people, you know, people challenging me. I, I very much enjoy it. It's almost, it's almost a bit of a hobby now <laughs> where people are like, can you come help us with this particular cause? I'm like, sure. Like, you know, mm. I'll, jump, I'll jump on board. Um, yeah, much again to my family's uh, <laughs> uh, upset because I, you know, sometimes I can spend too much time away from the home, to, you know, supporting other activities. But um, yeah, no, look, I think for us, we're definitely very passionate about um, veterans, about um, defence in general, uh, and defence advocacy for industry. Um, we're also very passionate about training. Uh, and, you know, South Australia and in particular, you know, Northern Adelaide as well, which is, is where I was born and grew up. So before I'm going to sort of come to a bit of a, a wrap-up here, but um, I'm, I'm going to ask sort of to get you to, to give me kind of a 
a key takeaway message that perhaps you would like to leave with veterans. But before I do ask that, because I know you're a, a, a South Australian advocate, I'm actually going to reverse this on you and ask you if uh, you're going on holidays, where else in Australia do you love visiting? Oh, look, I think um, certainly Queensland is somewhere where we go every year. As you, yeah. as you know, we, we go there every year. Um, I think, uh, you know, part of that for us is, we, you know, we've got family in Queensland and um, we always enjoy the weather and the activities there. Um, but, yeah, there's certainly Queensland. And, and really, I think anywhere in Australia really is lucky. And we were just talking the other day, uh, my wife and I were just talking around, well, do we go stay at a local beach in South Australia over Christmas? Do we go to Queensland again um, and have a take the family up to Queensland, or do we go to Bali? And for us, Bali was instantly off the off the cards. Um, even though in some cases the Bali trip would be cheaper, the beaches, the you know, the everything just doesn't compare to what you can get locally anywhere in Australia, really. And so for me. Um, you know, for us, really anywhere in Australia, but it's 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 always somewhere between South Australia and Queensland, <laughs> which is pretty pretty broad. <laughs> that's just that's I, I asked that question just uh, for interstate listeners here, so <laughs> to keep them happy. But yeah, just finally, what would be your sort of takeaway message for veterans? What uh, is there sort of a key a key bit of advice you just want to give them to to wrap things up? Look, I think there's a few things really. There's probably two, two ones. If you if you're a veteran thinking about leaving and and listening to something like this and you know wanting to leave at some stage in the future, you know don't don't take the 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 first twelve months as the you know being a litmus test for what's going to happen in in your whole process. First 12 months for almost everybody I've met has always had some sort of a turmoil uh, or or change. Um, and the best way you can deal with that is by finding other like-minded people that have maybe just been through that that can offer up some support. If you can't find that, you can always reach out to us and not just from a qualification point of view that we can certainly always offer people, but if you you know if you're thinking about doing it and you just want to spitball some ideas, spitball some companies, be put in contact with some other people, you can always reach out to us. Um, for people that have already gone through it or are going through it, um, you know, I, I would say the same. You know, networking with people is the most important thing. Finding people that can help uh, help support you through this uh, that period uh, is really important. Um, and and it's the same again. Like if you get if you get stuck or you're not sure whether you're going down the right path or you question yourself or etc., you can always contact us. Um, our website, uh, you know, you can easily search us on Google. Um, you can send us an email, etc. We'll we'll contact you. We'll have a, we'll have a chat. And it doesn't always have to be about qualifications with us. It's about helping make the right connections for you uh, and put you. Um, and put you into the right uh, down down the right path of of where you can get some support if if you if you need be. Um, so yeah, so really they're the two sort of things um, that that I'd probably leave with. Oh, that, that, thank you very much. And um, so Mark, it's been um, it's been a 
great pleasure doing this very first uh, initial podcast with you. I'm sure this will become a new hobby. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, well, uh, thank you to everyone who's been listening in. Yeah, thanks, everyone. And look, if there's anything else, that, any particular topics or people you'd like us to discuss with, by all means, let us know if you like this, if you don't like it. I'm sorry if it's a bit amateurish from our side. We, we're just two guys just sitting in my office right now just doing a podcast and we thought that could help people. So, so by all means, reach out if you like it. Let us know. If you don't like it, let us know. If there's anything else we can do, um, uh, reach out and we'll try and we'll try and add it to the to the list of things we could cover off on. Thank you.